2. Hole, nor tempt it out of the hole with a dead rat. The best way is to let the ferret come out of its own choice, and then pick it up very quietly, for if you grab at it, it is likely to become what we call a stopper, and never on any account force a ferret to go into a hole. When working ferrets for rabbit shooting always muzzle them. The old-fashioned style of muzzle is, I think, the best. That island made with string. I don't approve of wire muzzles, as they are liable to catch against tree roots and bits of sharp stones. And from experience I find the ferret works much better with the string muzzle. There is one way of working ferrets when rabbit shooting which, if followed, I think would lead to a better day of shooting. You will often see the ferret stick up with the rabbits. Now. In most cases the gamekeeper or his man working the ferrets will often cut open a dead rabbit and put the paunch to the burrow. I quite agree as to the desirability of this to get the ferrets out. But I say that the man using the ferrets ought never to touch the paunch. As the ferrets will not work half so well after he has the smell of the paunch on his hands. Another bad plan is that of throwing a dead rabbit into the burrow so that the ferret will follow it out. The best plan is to let the ferret get clear of the hole. And then pick it up quietly. If you will break your ferrets in in this manner you will never have any trouble with them afterwards. When ferrets are conveyed about for the purpose of rabbiting, boxes are much better to use than bags, as the ferrets then get a better chance of resting. If bags be used you disturb the ferrets rest and position each time you remove one. Take care to observe this and it will result in a good day's sport. Always take your ferrets home as quickly as possible after a day's work. Ferrets kept only for rabbit shooting should always be fed as soon as the day's work is over, but they must not have more food till the same time the following day. If fed in this way regularly you will find that they will work very well. It is also advisable to let them drink at a stream when they have worked about three hours. When ferrets have been fast in a rabbit burrow, their paws may be full of down with scratching at the rabbits. Always remove this before placing them to another burrow. Each time you handle the ferret see that the muzzle is alright, and in muzzling with string great care should be taken to remove the long hair on the snout from under the string, otherwise the ferret may experience a tickling sensation, and not work so well as it should, see also that the string is tied tightly around the ferret's neck, if not it can easily pull off the muzzle with its paws, whenever a ferret is severely bitten by a rat the best course to take immediately you get it home is to bathe the wound in clean lukewarm water. See that all the dirt is removed, and then apply a few drops of sweet oil to the wound. Repeat this every four hours, until the wound is healed, but until then do not work the ferret lest more dirt gets into the wound. My experience proves this to be the best way to cure a ferret when it has received a severe rat bite. It is also a good plan occasionally say once a fortnight to skin a nice young rat and give it to the ferret. Suitable dogs, and now a word or two as to what is a good dog for waterside hunting or working with the ferrets, I recommend a crossbred dog, but I find that it is always better to have the pointer breed in it, whatever other breed you get, because the pointer always has the nose or scent, pointer and Airedale would be very good, or pointer and Irish Terrier, I have often noticed that purebred dogs are not much good for hunting in buildings or rivers, I have frequently seen a crossbred dog stand at one side of the river, and if the wind has been in his favor he has winded his nose across the river, and I have sent him over and he has turned a rat out, bolted it into the water, and killed it. The best precaution to take in breaking a dog to a rat catching and waterside hunting especially if it be a puppy is to never allow anybody but yourself to have anything to do with it, it being the worst thing possible to let a working dog have too many masters. Break it into the ferrets first, 
and then it is a good plan to go up the river banks, with either a dead rat or rabbit skin, letting the dog play with it for a while, and then burying it about 18 inches in the river bank, or you may pull up a clod and put it under, only you must not let the dog see where you place it, then take the dog with you near to where the rat or skin is buried, and you will soon see that the dog knows its work, do this a few times, and you will see that once the dog finds the dead rat or the skin it will never forget, the younger the dog the better, the right age to break a puppy this way being about 4 or 5 months, break it in for taking to the water at the same time, if you want a good working dog always keep it on the chain when at home, and feed it at the same time as the ferrets, but do not overfeed it, also give it one dose of castor oil or syrup of buckthorn every 14 days, I recommend this because you never know the nasty poisonous stuff that the dog gets on its stomach from the dirty brook and river sides, let me add that all I have written about ferrets and dogs are not given merely from hearsay, but are the facts derived from study and experience during 25 years of dog and ferret keeping, part III, the habits of rats, rats breathe very quickly, this I have often proved by visiting a given haunt for many years together, I remember an instance in point one June, when out with dog and ferrets, the dog made a set under the root of a tree, I put the ferret in and it bolted eight young rats, nearly half grown, still suckling the bitch rat, when the old rat bolted my dog killed it, and whilst the dog was shaking it I found she was very heavy and young again, this, therefore, will prove how quickly rats breed, another result of my observation may be of interest to my readers, after removing a lot of old rubbish when ratting I came upon a nest of just born rats, and, in curiosity, I cut the tails off the lot, and then put the young rodents back, leaving the nest undisturbed. When I returned next day, I found the old rat had carried all her young away, and, later, I found the same tailless lot in another part of the building, and, after disturbing them again, I found the following day that the bitch rat had killed everyone by eating off their heads, this destruction of the offspring I have witnessed on more than one occasion, the old bitch rat has always killed them in the same way by eating off their heads, I must not forget to tell you of the young rat's dread of the ferrets. I have often seen when the ferrets have been put in the hole the young rats not many days old and their eyes yet an open creep out of the hole. This is a proof that the smell of the ferrets has a tendency to bolt rats, either young or old. Old rats are very bold whilst suckling their young. I have seen them very venturesome to get to water, and more eager for water than for food. I have often traced their runs a long way for water, and noticed that when crossing a field to get to a pit or river they never walk but are always on the run, and in the summer, when they reach the pit, they not only drink, but often swim about, I have frequently watched them swimming on a moonlight night, but they generally go back to the buildings in the early morning, especially in the winter months, another habit I have often noticed, take a farm, or any place where there are many rats, and it will be always found that when a rat gets very old it becomes very grayish in color and rather scabbed, and its hair comes off mostly on the back, the healthy rats will then drive the old rat away, and these scabby old rats may be caught by themselves in other parts of the buildings, and, further, I often notice that if the ferrets are bitten with these old rats, they, take bad ways, I never put such rats with the others nor allow my dog to kill them, I would advise any gentleman having a dog who values never to let it touch one of these old scabby rats, as it may prove injurious to the health of the dog, it is surprising how far rats will travel in the night. I have traced their tracks from a stackyard over two or three fields to a farm to get to their food, 
and you will always find that they have one time for feeding, which is as soon as it is dusk, the young rats being the most venturesome for their food, always coming out first, rats, especially stackyard ones, are of a very clean nature, you will find that after they have had their first feed they diligently wash themselves, these rats feed on nothing but good stuff, such as wheat, corn, and meal, and from experience I find that if a man is bitten on the hand by one of these brown or stack rats it never takes bad ways, but, if bitten by a dirty drain rat, then whether he cauterizes or bathes the wound is no matter, it is sure to take bad ways, I think the reason of this is because the drain rat, when it cannot get anything else to eat, exists on the worms and slugs, and this, I think, causes the teeth to become more venomous, when bitten in this way blood poisoning is very likely to ensue, indeed, you must understand that the teeth of a full-grown rat are quite half an inch long, and the jaw is very strong, so that if you are bitten on the finger it is almost sure to penetrate to the bone, I have known a good many cases of blood poisoning through rat bites, the damage rats can do to property, commodities, etc. is almost incredible, I have had so many examples of this that I scarcely know which to submit as illustration. I think the worst case I have seen was where they gnawed a hole halfway through a two-one-four-inch lead pipe, and often I have known them to bite through a one-inch lead pipe. The worst damage is done when they get under the flag floors of cottage houses out of the drains. They scratch the soil from beneath the flags, which then sink, and the consequent stench from the drains is abominable, jeopardizing the health of the tenants. I have seen a great many of these cases in the poorer parts of Manchester. The damage the rats will do in the silk and similar trades, to the goods of merchants, or in the grocery business, is enormous, and not so much by reason of what they actually eat as by what they carry away, which is often ten times as much as they eat. I have often proved this when ferreting at a wholesale grocery warehouse. When we have taken up the boards between the laths and plaster we have found the ceiling almost full of lump sugar nuts, candles, etc. which have been there for years, hoarded by the rats, now, this all means heavy loss, and that is why I say that any businessman so suffering ought to engage the services of a professional rat catcher once a year in order to keep the rats down, and catch as many as possible before they begin breeding, another rat habit may be noticed where the rodents are accustomed to have their holes and runs among flags and stones, if they find any soft wood such as pine or white deal, they will nibble at it until it is eaten through. I have often known them to eat right through the legs of tables in the middle of cooking kitchens. This, I think, they do simply to keep their teeth clean and in order. I have known half-grown rats to do the same. Rats can exist a long time on herbage. If they can get nothing more palatable, it is a very common thing to find rats in the rabbit burrows when ferreting. In fact, I have seen, not once, but many times, rats, rabbits, and weasels all bolt from the same burrow. I had also unearthed a rat and a rabbit together out of one single burrow. Now as to keeping rats in store cages at home, look well after them, and I think it is possible to keep them alive for quite a year, but if you keep, say, 20 in one store cage and neglect their feeding, you will find that when hungry in the night they will kill the weakest of their number and eat it, sometimes even eating two or three in one night, leaving the skin as clean as if a man had skinned them. It is always the best plan to put the rats in different cages, according to their sizes, the young ones together, the old ones together, and the middle-aged ones together, as they keep themselves much cleaner when thus divided, and do not fight so much as they would otherwise. They must also be kept in a warm place, 
If not, they soon have cramp. Also keep them in a dark place and see that they have plenty of water. Sprinkle them now and then with it so that they will wash themselves. It is astonishing what a hungry rat will do. I have seen them in the summer at dusk run at an old hen with her chickens under her. And almost as quick as I tell it, the rat has snatched a live chicken and run with it under a pigsty floor. I had known them to take half-grown young ducks from the waterside. I remember once ferreting round a pit, near a barn, and when I put my ferret in the hole, it pulled out two dead chickens and three middle-sized dead ducks, and behind them, not more than a yard deep in the pit bank, was an old rat. I had also known them to get into the coops where a gamekeeper was rearing his pheasants, and to kill nine young ones in a single night all from under the same hen. Rats are also fond of eggs. I have read of many ways in which rats take eggs, but in my quarter of a century's experience of ratting I never saw rats take eggs save in one way, and that island dragging or rolling them along the floor with their front paws, until they get them to the mouth of the hole. I remember one place where I was ferreting. There was an old cellar, the door of which at the top of the steps had to my knowledge been nailed up two or three years. Out of the hen house the rats had eaten a hole at each side of the cellar door at the bottom. One day we burst open the door, went into the cellar where it was impossible for a hen to get whilst the door was closed and beneath the bottom step we caught two rats. On lifting the flag at the bottom of the steps, we found fifteen whole eggs, some good and some bad, all of which I am quite satisfied the rats had carried down those nine stone steps. How they had done so I cannot explain, but content myself with stating only the plain facts of my own personal observation. Rats are also very cunning in the water, say a pit or a river. Now, a rat can exist in water for at most about seven minutes, and you will find when a dog is swimming after a rat that the rat is watching the dog all the time, for as soon as the dog gets within a yard of the rat the latter will dive underwater and come to the surface again about fifteen yards away. When the dog has tired the rat out with swimming, you will very often see the rat dive again and come up very quietly and just put its nose out of the water or rest its head on a floating leaf. It is so cunning that it will remain still there, and if the leaf or reed gives way it will come up at the water side and just thrust out its nose to breathe. By this means the dog loses full scent of the rat. I have also noticed how full are the rat's front paws and tail. I have seen a rat on the top of a swill tub at a pigsty. When the swill has been about 10 inches from the top of the tub, the rat was too cunning to jump down on the wet swill and drown but I saw it reach as far down the inside of the tub as possible with its front paws and scrape the grease from around the sides. I have also seen the same rat, when unable to scrape any further down the tub sides, turn round, clutch the top of the tub with its front paws, dip its tail into the swill, and then gain the top of the tub and commence licking its tail. I have also tried an experiment with the same tub, which consisted of covering the top of the wet swill with bran, which floated on the surface and placing a bit of lumpy swill in the middle of the bran, in the hope that the rat would jump on the bran in the expectation of getting at the swill in the middle. However, it did not do so, no doubt instinctively guided against the danger. I have also watched rats run round a set wire or cage trap for a full hour. I have seen them go halfway in and out again, look at the bait and never touch it, but go away and never return to the same trap that night. These examples show the cunning instinct of rats. Their island however, one power that the rat is not favored with, and I am afraid if they were they would be a greater pest, it is the ability of high jumping, a rat cannot, I think, jump higher than 3 feet 6 inches, 
and will have to be very hungry before doing that to obtain food. Many people may not know how fierce rats are when fighting. Let me instance, I have often taken, one in each hand, two good rats from my cage before a hundred spectators and set the rats at each other on the top of the table. To see them fight would be surprising. They will fight like two bulldogs. When they have got a grip of each other with their teeth I have taken away my hands, and they have stuck and shook one another for at least half a minute. Although you must understand that the moment they are loose of one another they are off if you don't catch them again. There are several other cunning ways of rats which I can scarcely explain. One must be amongst them regularly to know their wonderful ways and habits. Yet another little incident, in conclusion, may be of interest. I once called at a farm where they had been threshing a wheat stack. A rat catcher had been there but without a dog. And when I arrived two hours afterwards my dog made a set and commenced scratching amongst the old chaff left at the bottom of the stack, and to the astonishment of myself and the farmer I pulled out of the hole where the dog was scratching 73 live rats. The other rat catcher, who had been at the threshing all day, had caught only 14 rats. This will serve to show that a rat catcher must not be without a good dog. And now, respecting the ways and habits of rats I think I have given my readers interesting and varied illustrations of what I have seen and experienced during my time. Part ID. Life of the Rat Catcher. This work will not be complete if I do not deal with the rat catcher's life. The profession is a peculiar and exciting one, but all right if pursued in the right way. Although the calling takes one into dirty and obnoxious places, there is no reason why the rat catcher should not always appear respectable. The rat catcher has many temptations to dishonest convicts. For instance, when rat catching on a far more private estate where there are numerous rabbits and game, it looks rather hard lines for the rat catcher to come off the farm with his cage full of rats and see rabbits running about whilst he has all the requisites in his possession for catching them, and yet he must not touch one, but go home and merely reflect on what a good Sunday's dinner he is leaving behind. This I have experienced many a time but I have always found even from the business viewpoint that the old advice still remains true. Honesty is the best policy. Leaving the rabbits to themselves has always turned out to be the best. For to take a rabbit worth a shilling, and get caught in the act, means that you can never go on the same estate again, and from that same estate you might have got 500 rats in a year, worth four shillings a dozen. I must also put in a good word here for the gamekeepers. My opinion is that if you go on a keeper's ground and do what is right, you will be able to go again. For in the whole of my experience never having carried any nets but rat nets when on private estates, I had the consolation of knowing that I should always be welcome on going again to such estates. Of course there are inconveniences that the rat catcher has to put up with, whatever engagements he takes in a town. The only time he can catch rats with a good result is in the night. On one occasion. When going round with my bullseye lamp to examine the traps, I was taken for a burglar by the policeman on the beat, and he doubted me so much that he would not release me until I had shown him my cage with rats in and my traps set all over the place. Then he took almost as much interest in the catching of rats as myself, and also brought in the other policemen who were outside waiting for me to attempt an escape. Ever after that, when I had a night's engagement in any town, I always went to the police station to tell the man on that beat where I was. It behoves the rat catcher to be always attentive to his customers. Those, I mean, who want live rats wherewith to try their dogs. Amongst mine I had the honor to include clients of highest rank and position. Barristers, magistrates, 
solicitors and a host of sporting gentry, if the rat catcher's efforts commend themselves to such gentlemen, and he always maintains a respectable appearance, he will obtain some very nice outings in the country. Oft times a party of gentlemen have sent for me in the summer, having arranged with me to bring four or five ferrets and ratting appliances, and we have gone fifty miles up the country. They would bring their terrier dogs, and we would hunt all along the brooks and rivers, and round the corn and wheat fields, putting the rats we caught into the cage, and after lunch, taking the rats to a meadow and coursing them with their dogs, which I think it real good sport. We would put up at the best hotels and repeat the procedure next day, very often taking a drag or coach, and driving ten or a dozen miles farther up the country. I can assure my readers that the rat catcher is well remunerated for the trouble he undertakes in these cases, and moreover this is the class of people he requires to fraternize with. There is always a plentiful supply of refreshments on these outings, and I would therefore advise the rat catcher not to indulge too freely. The foregoing island of course. A brief sketch of the pleasantest part of a rat catcher's life, and to complete the picture I may as well describe some of the other features, and the way he has to rough it sometimes. Well, rat catchers are generally called upon to supply rats for the rat coursings usually held at the houses, etc. on Saturday afternoons, which one often sees advertised. Now, if he binds himself to supply a coursing at a certain date, the bills announcing the event are printed and posted all of which means expense, then you are bound to secure the live rats, whatever be the weather, in doing this I always followed the threshing machine to the bays and stacks, anyone that catches rats regularly can tell by looking at the bays or stacks whether there are many rats in or not, I remember many times when the men had started threshing a bay of wheat in which were a great many rats, and by dark they had threshed only half of the bay, at such times the rat catcher must not leave the remaining half. Mumber not for half an hour throughout the whole night, for if he does the rats will run out, to stop the rats from leaving, the rat catcher has to lie on the top of the bay or go about every 30 minutes and beat the bottom with sticks until daylight, in order to keep the rats in then, after the machine race starts, and the bottom of the bay is reached, the rat catcher will be well paid for his trouble, for he may get, say, 150 good rats for the coursing, that's 6 shillings per dozen. The reason I call them good coursing rats is because they have not been handled, and that enables them to run well. Now, when you go to these coursings which are mostly in the colliery districts you will find about 60 dogs entered. It is the rat catcher's business to measure and handicap the dogs, and a very unpleasant job it is. He has also to be the referee at these coursings, and if it is a near thing with two dogs running at one rat, and you decide to award the victory to a given one, then the owner of the other dog will probably accuse you of wrongdoing and favoritism. Then is the time the rat catcher has to be prepared to pull off his coat and start fighting before, perhaps, 500 spectators. This has often occurred with me. This, I can assure my readers, is what I call roughing it. Of course, what I have just related occurred a few years ago, but when the muzzling order came into force, the authorities practically stopped rat coursing for they would not let a dog run at a rat unless the dog was muzzled. This was about the worst thing that the authorities could do for Manchester and District, for at that time I was supplying for coursings about 100 rats per week, and at the same time sending 50 rats a week into Yorkshire, and all the rats I supplied were caught within 15 miles of Manchester. This in my opinion, speaks very bad of the muzzling order, which I think is nothing but a farce 
for at the very time I was going ratting, dogs were muzzled in some parts of the country but not in others. My opinion of dog muzzling island muzzle all or muzzle none. You will see by what I have said respecting these coursings, etc. that the rat catcher has plenty of work to supply so many live rats, and he has also to mix with company high and low. He also sometimes experiences difficulties in traveling on the railway. I have often entered an empty third-class carriage, sent my dog under the seat, and put the rat cage there also. The carriage would fill with passengers, and upon reaching my destination I would take from under the seat my cage full of live rats, to the amusement of some and the disgust of others. I have also entered a railway carriage with my cage of rats when there were passengers in one or two of whom would generally object to live rats being in the same compartment, and on inquiring of the railway officials, I have found that anyone traveling with live rats is expected to put them in the guard's van. I have also had a few good customers in my business, one or two in particular. Gentlemen have often sent me postcards instructing me to take six or twelve rats to their residences. I would run them out on the lawn in front of the house with their dogs, and generally I have received good remuneration for my trouble. These are the customers who should be looked well after, for they are the sportsmen who do not consider expense. Though of course there are others who are just the opposite. Further, rat catching is a business in which one is not called upon to allow credit. It is all a ready money trade. And as there is not much competition, the rat catcher can command a good price for his work. He has always one resource open to him when he has finished a job according to contract catching say 40 or 50 rats. Should there be a dispute about the price and the people decline to pay the bill. Then he has the expedient of letting the rats at liberty again in the place where he had caught them. Most people will pay the price you send in rather than have the rats turned loose again. Although I am showing how the rat catcher can always have the advantage of stubborn payers, I may as well assure my readers that in all my experience such an occurrence as the above has never happened with me, simply because I always make my arrangements beforehand, which course I always find the best and most satisfactory all round. Another matter I may mention, if anyone could find out a sure way of catching rats so that he could give a guarantee to clear large buildings, my opinion is that he would make a fortune in a very short time, for I know firms in Manchester alone that would pay almost any amount to be rid of the rats, not only because of what they consume, but more for the damage they do to their goods. I have referred to the rat catcher obtaining good pay. The reason he commands such a big price for his work at the present time is because there is not much sale for live rats. The trade is not what it was some years ago when rat pits were allowed. I think it was one of the worst things they ever did for this country when the authorities stopped the rat pits. For when rat killing was allowed in pits, it was a common thing for a rat catcher to receive an order for 100 rats, all to be killed at one time. Then the rat catcher would get the rats and wherever he got them from he was ridding that district of a nuisance. But when the authorities stopped rat pits and rat coursing, the consequence was that the rat catcher left the rats to breed in thousands, rats being vermin. I don't see why they should not be killed 50 or 100 at a time in the pit. But the Humane Society maintain that it is cruelty to dogs to put them in a pit with a lot of rats. I don't see where the cruelty comes in but from what I have seen of rat pits during my time I approve of them, and I think if they were in existence again there would be a clearing of many thousands of rats. Some 15 or 20 years since, I supplied 400 rats in one week, all to be killed in rat pits. Many of my readers may not understand what a rat pit island and so I will just give an outline as well as I can. The rat pit is of circular construction, say 10 feet diameter, 
and about 4 feet 6 inches deep, the sides being perfectly smooth to prevent the rats climbing up and making their escape. A certain number of rats are placed in the pit according to the arrangements made with the owner of the dog. Then the dog is put in the pit with the rats to kill them, which a good dog does very quickly. The reason the pit is built circular is so that the rats will keep running round, for if it were square they would all run in a corner, one on the other, and then the dog would have no difficulty in killing them. It is better to have the pit fairly deep, if not, the rats might escape. I think the best dog, within my recollection, that I have seen was a bull and fox terrier, which killed 40 good rats in 3 minutes and 21 seconds. I have read and heard of dogs doing better feats but I am only writing of what I have myself seen. I may say that the records for rat killing in rat pits are held by a dog called Jacko, which killed 200 rats in 14 minutes and 37 seconds, and 1.000 rats in less than 1 hour and 40 minutes. The rat catcher has also some very dirty jobs to do sometimes. Often he has to go under all sorts of cellar floors, both wet and dry, but the majority of places are very wet and dirty for the rats nearly always come out of some filthy drain, and very often near a water closet, the abominable smell arising from these places being sufficient to cause a fever. I remember being once employed at a hospital, and I was paid at the rate of 5s per visit for trapping rats. Well, I found that 5s per visit did not pay me. I had about 120 traps set all over the place, so I went before the committee and requested 8s per night. The committee said they thought 5s per visit was enough, and one or two of them said they thought 8s per night was above a rat catcher's day. Now, as I was not depending on that particle, 